0: and now the second half of the 2012 Opinion of the Court in United States v. Alvarez, picking up with Part 3 of the Opinion. The probable and adverse effect of the Act on Freedom of Expression illustrates, in a fundamental way, the reasons for the law's distrust of content-based speech prohibitions. The act, by its plain terms, applies to a false statement made at any time, in any place, to any person. It can be assumed that it would not apply to, say, a theatrical performance. Still, the sweeping, quite unprecedented reach of the statute puts it in conflict with the First Amendment. Here, the lie was made in a public meeting but the statute would apply with equal force to personal, whispered conversations within a home. The statute seeks to control and suppress all false statements on this one subject in almost limitless times and settings, and it does so entirely without regard to whether the lie was made for the purpose of material gain permitting the government to decree this speech to be a criminal offense, whether shouted from the rooftops or made in a barely audible whisper, would endorse government authority to compile a list of subjects about which false statements are punishable. That governmental power has no clear limiting principle our constitutional tradition stands against the idea that we need Oceania's Ministry of Truth from George Orwell's 1984. Were this law to be sustained, there would be an endless list of subjects the national government or the states could single out. Where false claims are made to affect a fraud or secure monies or other valuable considerations, say offers of employment, it is well established that the government may restrict speech without affronting the First Amendment. But the Stolen Valor Act is not so limited in its reach. Were the court to hold that the interest in truthful discourse alone is sufficient to sustain a ban on speech, absent any evidence that the speech was used to gain a material advantage, it would give government a broad censorial power unprecedented in this court's cases or in our constitutional tradition. The mere potential for the exercise of that power casts a chill. A chill the First Amendment cannot permit if free speech, thought, and discourse are to remain a foundation of our freedom. Part 4. The previous discussion suffices to show that the Act conflicts with free speech principles. But even when examined within its own narrow sphere of operation, the Act cannot survive. In assessing content based restrictions on protected speech, the Court has not adopted a free willing approach. Although the objectives the government seeks to further by the statute are not without significance, the court must, and now does, find the act does not satisfy exacting scrutiny. The government is correct when it states military medals serve the important public function of recognizing and expressing gratitude for acts of heroism and sacrifice in military service, and also foster morale, mission accomplishment, and esprit de corps among service members. General George Washington observed that an award for valor would cherish a virtuous ambition in soldiers, as well as foster and encourage every species of military merit. Time has not diminished this idea. In periods of war and peace alike, public recognition of valor and noble sacrifice by men and women in uniform reinforces the pride and national resolve that the military relies upon to fulfill its mission. These interests are related to the integrity of the military honor system in general, and the Congressional Medal of Honor in particular. Although millions have served with brave resolve, the medal, which is the highest military award for valor against an enemy force, has been given just 3,476 times. Established in 1861, the medal is reserved for those who have distinguished themselves conspicuously by gallantry and intrepidity at the risk of his life above and beyond the call of duty. The stories of those who earned the medal inspire and fascinate, from Dakota Meyer, who in 2009 drove five times into the midst of a Taliban ambush to save 36 lives, to Desmond Doss, who served as an army medic on Okinawa and on June 5, 1945, rescued 75 fellow soldiers who, after being wounded, gave up his own place on a stretcher so others could be taken to safety to William Carney, who sustained multiple gunshot wounds to the head, chest, legs, and arm, and yet carried the flag to ensure it did not touch the ground during the Union Army's assault on Fort Wagner in July 1863. The rare acts of courage the medal celebrates led President Truman to say he would rather have that medal round my neck than be President of the United States. The government's interest in protecting the integrity of the Medal of Honor is beyond question. But to recite the government's compelling interests is not to end the matter. The First Amendment requires that the government's chosen restriction on the speech at issue be actually necessary to achieve its interests. There must be a direct causal link between the restriction imposed and the injury to be prevented. The link between the government's interest in protecting the integrity of the military honors system and the act's restriction on the false claims of liars like respondent has not been shown, although appearing to concede that an isolated misrepresentation by itself would not tarnish the meaning of military honors The government asserts it is common sense that false representations have the tendency to dilute the value and meaning of military awards. It must be acknowledged that when a pretender claims the medal to be his own, the lie might harm the government by demeaning the high purpose of the award, diminishing the honor it confirms, and creating the appearance that the medal is awarded more often than is true. Furthermore, the lie may offend the true holders of the medal. From one perspective, it insults their bravery and high principles when falsehood puts them in the unworthy company of a pretender. Yet, these interests do not satisfy the government's heavy burden when it seeks to regulate protected speech. The government points to no evidence to support its claim that the public's general perception of military wards is diluted by false claims such as those made by Alvarez. As one of the government's Amiki notes, there is nothing that charlatans such as Xavier Alvarez can do to stain the medal winner's honor. This general proposition is sound even if true holders of the medal might experience anger and frustration. The lack of a causal link between the government's stated interest and the act is not the only way in which the act is not actually necessary to achieve the government's stated interest. The government has not shown and cannot show why counterspeech would not suffice to achieve its interest. The facts of this case indicate that the dynamics of free speech, of counterspeech, Of refutation can overcome the lie. Respondent lied at a public meeting. Even before the FBI began investigating him for his false statements, Alvarez was perceived as a phony. Once the lie was made public, he was ridiculed online. His actions were reported in the press, and a fellow board member called for his resignation. There is good reason to believe that a similar fate would befall other false claimants. Indeed, the outrage and contempt expressed for respondents' lies can serve to reawaken and reinforce the public's respect for the medal, its recipients, and its high purpose. The acclaim that recipients of the Congressional Medal of Honor receive also cast doubt on the proposition that the public will be misled by the claims of charlatans or become cynical of those whose heroic deeds earned them the medal by right. The remedy for speech that is false is speech that is true. This is the ordinary course in a free society. The response to the unreasoned is the rational— to the uninformed, the enlightened, to the straight-out lie, the simple truth. The theory of our Constitution is that the best test of truth is the power of the thought to get itself accepted in the competition of the market. The First Amendment itself ensures the right to respond to speech we do not like, and for good reason. Freedom of speech and thought flows not from the beneficence of the state, but from the inalienable rights of the person. And suppression of speech by the government can make exposure of falsity more difficult, not less so. Society has the right and civic duty to engage in open, dynamic, rational discourse." These ends are not well served when the government seeks to orchestrate public discussion through content based mandates. Expressing its concern that counter speech is insufficient, the government responds that because some military records have been lost, some claims are unverifiable. This proves little, however for without verifiable records, successful criminal prosecutions under the Act would be more difficult in any event. So, in cases where public refutation will not serve the government's interest, the Act will not either. In addition, the government claims that many false claims will remain unchallenged. The government provides no support for the contention— and in any event, in order to show that public refutation is not an adequate alternative, the government must demonstrate that unchallenged claims undermine the public's perception of the military and the integrity of its award system. This showing has not been made. It is a fair assumption that any true holders of the medal who had heard of Alvarez's false claims would have been fully vindicated by the community's expression of outrage, showing, as it did, the nation's high regard for the medal. The same can be said for the government's interest. The American people do not need the assistance of a government prosecution to express their high regard for the special place that military heroes hold in our tradition. Only a weak society needs government protection or intervention before it pursues its resolve to preserve the truth. Truth needs neither handcuffs nor a badge for its vindication. In addition, when the government seeks to regulate protected speech, the restriction must be the least restrictive means among the available effective alternatives. There is, however, at least one less speech-restrictive means by which the government could likely protect the integrity of the military award system. A government-created database could list Congressional Medal of Honor winners. Were a database accessible through the Internet, it would be easy to verify and expose false claims. It appears some private individuals have already created databases similar to this and at least one database of past winners is online and fully searchable. The Solicitor General responds that although Congress and the Department of Defense investigated the feasibility of establishing a database in 2008, the government concluded that such a database would be impracticable and insufficiently comprehensive. Without more explanation, it is difficult to assess the government's claim, especially when at least one database of Congressional Medal of Honor winners already exists. The government may have responses to some of these criticisms, but there has been no showing of the necessity of the statute, the necessity required by exacting scrutiny. The nation well knows that one of the costs of the First Amendment is that it protects the speech we detest as well as the speech we embrace. Though few might find respondent statements anything but contemptible, his right to make those statements is protected by the Constitution's guarantee of freedom of speech and expression. The Stolen Valor Act infringes upon speech protected by the First Amendment. The judgment of the Court of Appeals is affirmed. It is so ordered. We've come to the end of this opinion. Until next episode, thanks for listening to What SCOTUS Wrote Us.